Okay, now the recording is on, and we won't mention again the location of the new temple. <laughs> you should have been here, it was great. Okay. Uh, it's, always, it's always good to go back, and a uh, number of uh, police officers have submitted their, uh, their greatest moments. Uh, this, is, this is three of them. One night, many years ago, I was on patrol and observed a vehicle blow through a red light at a major intersection. There was plenty of time to stop, yet the vehicle did not even slow down. I stopped the car and asked the young female driver why she had done that. She told me she just had her brakes repaired, it had been very expensive, and she didn't want to wear them down. <laughs> Usually I give people a pass if I haven't heard their excuse before, but in this case, she got the ticket. <laughs> but wait, there's more. It gets better. I stopped a car in a rural area of our county, of our county going 80 miles an hour, 55. The driver explained he had a bee flying around his head, so he decided to speed to 80, hoping the bee wouldn't fly that fast and would not be able to fly out of the backseat area to get out of it. <laughs> you know, you, you almost picture like a little bee with G-forces on it. This is the guy that failed his physics class, I think. <laughs> Finally, fifth grade teacher Susan Oberson was arrested in Bucks County in January, charged with 17 counts of threatening bombings and gun violence after she was reassigned to teach the fourth grade instead. <laughs> if you taught fourth grade, that makes perfect sense, right? Okay. Alright, with that said, foolishness out of the way, I want to start with, a, uh, with an idea here. If we could turn to 3rd Nephi 17. There's some pretty profound stuff in here, but when the, if the Savior is teaching, to have him be the teacher means that it's going to be fairly full uh, in terms of the things that we're going to be hearing and picking up on. Um, you remember that the Savior has just gone through all of the, the uh, it's the Sermon on, I call it the Sermon of the Temple, it's the Sermon on the Mount, plus all the stuff that was left out of the Sermon of the Temple or Sermon on the Mount. So this is, Sermon on the Temple is a more complete record of this. And he's just finished this. And remember, the people went from, we just showed up at the temple, we heard a voice, uh, the Savior comes down, we spend about, somewhere we think between three and four hours, 2,500 people shuffle past to feel the prints of his nails of the wounded Savior, we're talking about that. And then he teaches the Sermon of the Temple. So, I love, I love this little line here. When he says, uh, verse 1, um, he looks around, my time has come. Verse 2, I perceive that ye are weak. Meaning what? Pooped. <laughs> they're, they're tired. You, I know you've never had the experience, 
So let's just assume I'm the only one that loves listening to General Conference. And by the time sometimes after a, a big lunch and the third apostle, I'm kind of going. <laughs> and I was really looking forward to hearing this, but the tension kind of lags a bit. Um, and they're pooped. Their attention spans only go for so long here. Okay? And so he says, I perceive you're weak. You cannot understand all my words. Now we're going to find out that, that this week is actually two-sided. They are tired. But there's an element here. Uh, you cannot understand all my words, which I'm commanded the Father uh, to speak unto you at this time. Now, this next stretch. Verse 3. The, the, uh, the middle line there, if you're skipping down, it says, That ye may understand. Now, let me stop for a second. Because I want, I want to make this as, as personal as I can here for us. One of the reasons of coming to Institute and, one, and studying and, and listening to gospel things is that you desperately want to understand. I don't understand. I want to understand more. I'm kind of weak. I'm not getting it. It's not sinking in. Either I was tired, I wasn't listening, uh, it's beyond me, I don't understand Isaiah, you know, whatever. And you say, I, I want to understand and I can understand. Well, we are about to get from the Savior how to understand. So for us as an institute class, this is kind of critical. Here comes the blueprint for how to understand this stuff. Okay? Um, therefore, he says, verse 3, Go ye unto your homes, go home, and now you're going to get a three-part description of how to understand gospel information. And how to understand, not just hear it, but understand in a way that changes your life. In a way that makes you different. In a way that will lead you to being converted. In a way that will enable you to meet all the challenges that you have in your life. Here comes the three. You ready? Uh, number one. The first thing you have to go to your home and do what? Ponder. Ponder. Think about it. Run it through. And I'm going to have a suggestion for you in a second on how to do that. Okay? So we're going to ponder. And then what's the next one? Pray. Ask the Lord. So you're going to ponder... You're going to pray. And then the next verse, is, uh, the next little line here, so that you may understand, there's a little, he, this is beautiful the way that he puts this. And he says, this is, you're going to ponder, you're going to pray, and you're going to do what? Prepare your minds. Well, this one caused me some consternation this week because I kind of tumbled this one through. What is that? Because I went back and I checked all of the time we're talking about prepare, it's always preparing our hearts. Hearts need to be prepared. Prepare our minds. Well, what would prepare our minds? We're told that the Spirit speaks to our heart and our mind. Right. So I think it's being prepared to receive instruction from the Spirit. So part of it's going to be being, we're going to prepare our mind to receive instruction from the Spirit. Okay. How else would we prepare our mind? Yeah. I think having an attitude of willingness and obedience because they're getting stuff that's new and it's sometimes hard to shift the way that we think to um, be able to accept it. Part of, somewhere, in, uh, somewhere in the Doctrine and Covenants, <laughs> the Lord has said, I, the Lord, require 
the hearts of men and, comma, a willing mind. Okay? If you're going to prepare your mind, what's going to need to happen? Clear it of earthly focuses. I think that's part of it. We begin to... I, I found that I have a, uh, a pattern uh, of what I do in some of my own studies because during the year I get a chance to kind of teach and do some things and then I get ready to teach it at BYU in uh, late July in Rexburg and then uh, August in Provo. And I found myself the last few years, because when I drive around in the car, I'm kind of a sports nut. That's why I'm wearing Ranger Red today and all kinds of stuff. Anyway. Um, so I listen to sports talk shows and I listen to political talk shows. And I just listen to stuff like that during the year. But I always find myself about a month before I'm rolling into education week, I don't want to listen to that stuff anymore. I begin listening to classical music or silence. It's like trying to somehow prepare myself to be in the best place possible to receive counsel and guidance. Yeah. I live in a different state than Plano, but our youth started a tradition several years ago, and I think it began with a seminary perfect example. Let, 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 me, let, let me add to that. For those kids that are the, just before general conference they are wearing uh, something close to church, which I think is really kind of a cool tradition. Uh, at a school, but I say church. It would be good to wear something close to church. <laughs> so they're wearing something close to school. How is that preparing your mind? He had a disagreement with Emma, 
And he's sitting down trying to translate, and it's like, the translator ain't working. Something is in the way, and he had to be right with Emma uh, to be able to, to then move forward. That's a good example of this. Okay? Now, let me mention, let, let me take this one step deeper and more personal in terms of us. And that is that um, one of the things that I have found uh, as I get ready for these classes every week is that my scripture study changes during the institute school year, basically. And that is that I have, this is what I'm going to recommend to you. My, my, my uh, scripture study for the week was uh, 3 Nephi 17, 18, and 19. And study anything else. But I do that every week. Every week I just have like three chapters and I will study those things over and over and over and over and over and over and look at odd words and weird phrases and see what somebody else has written about it. And so one of the things that I found is that over time I get a chance to go through and tear three chapters apart. What am I trying to do? Prepare my mind to understand, right? And because of that, because part of what we've started to discover, and I, I hope that you're discovering this, is that um, looking at these chapters, there is always these nice stories in the scriptures. This happened, they went here, then they went this, and that's interesting. But haven't you found so far this year that as we do this, that we keep finding these underlying powerful things that relate to our lives right at the moment. The Lord is a very economic Lord in terms of Scripture. He's only going to put things in there that are important to us. Now, immediately. So when we talk about preparing our minds, I think we need to be prepared to look for the other things that are there. Does that make sense? Not just look for the fact, it's interesting that the Savior came and did this. That's a fascinating fact. I know that years ago as a gospel doctrine teacher, I would look for fascinating facts. And I would teach lots of fascinating facts. And people would walk away going, wow, that was an interesting fact day. You know, I learned things that I've never learned. Okay? I look back, I wish I had those classes over again. I do. Because just the fact that there's an interesting fact in the scripture doesn't mean diddly squat if it isn't something that you can then take into your life tomorrow or later on today. And I think that preparing your minds is the process of preparing yourself to hear what's there for you today. Does that make sense? Okay, so here's my challenge. Ready for a challenge? This is, this is mid-October, right? We've got like eight weeks left before the, the end of this and middle of December and then we'll have the oral final and Christmas and stuff that'll be fun. Here's my challenge to you. For the next eight weeks, make your scripture study only those chapters we're studying for Institute. Study the heck out of it. Look up interesting phrases and words, go back and read it and reread it and look for the things that says, this is about me today. This is about my life. This is about my kid's life. What is in here? Not just, here's what he did, but what does this mean today? Is that, is that a decent challenge? And by doing that, what are you going to do? Prepare your mind to understand everything the Lord intends for you to have in these scriptures. 
Okay? So there's the challenge. Let me give you an example of what I mean by that. Okay? Because <clears throat> this is one of those moments that to me has just been, it's fascinating. At so many levels this thing is fascinating. Okay? Now, so verse 3, uh, you're going to ponder, you're going to pray, and you're going to prepare your mind. Okay? Oh, 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 by the way, before I go on to this. Yeah, let me do it now. So now let's get the deeper meaning on this, okay? This is, a, this is even a good, better example of what I'm coming up with. Prepare your mind, okay? Now, think about this. Each, we talked last week about the fact that they, 2,500 people had a chance to go to the Savior and discover that he was a wounded Savior. That they had scars, and he had scars, and he understands them because he also is carrying scars. And you say, yeah, but it wasn't fair that he had those scars. Uh-huh. So many of your scars are not your fault either. It wasn't fair what happened to you, and it happened anyway. This is a Savior who understands unfair wounds and scars. And we talked about that. Now, prepare your minds. If you are scarred, if you are carrying scars, who else has prepared your mind? What circumstances have prepared your mind? that may be causing you pain. Who else might have been involved at some point in preparing your mind to teach you lies about yourself? Satan? Yeah. Satan's kind of involved in doing those. He wants to prepare you to prepare your mind to accept lies. Who else might have prepared your mind alternate preparations, if you will? I know, well let me give you an example. Statistics tell me if I take the women in this room, about a third of you at least went through some kind of abuse in your life. Physical, sexual, emotional. You were abused. What was your mind prepared to accept? That what? No Yeah. First of all, you have no boundaries, you have no right, or right, I get to do these things to you. Guilt. Guilt? Yeah. And, and that you deserve it. And you're worthless. Shame. And you should be ashamed because, you know, somehow this was your fault. And, and I've talked before, my clients know that I talk a lot about the fact that for a child being abused, they have two choices. Choice A says, uh, if, if I'm going to be abused, I have no control over this. And this, this is all unconscious. They don't know this consciously. Choice A, I have no, I'm just going to be hurt. There's nothing I can do. Choice B, there is something I can do if I can just figure out how to stop it. So if I'll just figure it out, then it, then it will stop. So there's a chance it will stop. But the price I have to pay is that it's my fault. There's your choices. 
the devil's dilemma. There's nothing I can do. There might be something I can do. Be prettier, be nicer, be quieter, be cleaner. But that means when I'm abused, it's my fault. I have to carry the guilt. What will the choice what child what choice does the child take? A or B? B every time. They will always take B. It's my fault, but if I can figure out what I'm doing, I have a chance to make it stop. Well, in that case, their mind is being prepared by somebody else to do what? Be responsible for things that are not their fault. Their brain has been prepared by somebody other than the Lord. That's, and I, and I, I could go on and on about the alternate preparations that I think happen to us. Do our, are our teenagers' minds being prepared to accept an alternate reality? What are they taught to believe? Everything's okay. Everything's okay. In fact, if you're going to say something wrong, that's like judgmental. You don't want to be judgmental. It's like whatever you do, do it. That's okay. Okay, so there's no moral uh, absolutes. They're prepared to do that. What else? What's that? I'm entitled. I should get everything. And in fact, I'm being abused if I don't get everything that my friends get. I'm prepared to accept I deserve everything. Yeah? That they're invincible. Oh, yeah, that they're invincible. I can do everything. I, I realize this has hurt everybody else, but in my case, I'm prepared to accept, and by, and by the way, Hollywood is good at this one. I love this one. Don't you let anybody tell you you can't do something. You can do anything that you want to do. You know, in fact, most of the fuddy-duddy stuff over here is just holding you back. You go be this great, wonderful person. I'm prepared to accept that I have no controls and no limits on me. I want all the good stuff and no, and no restrictions. Yeah. Um, that nobody understands my situation, so I have a good excuse why I can't do something. Oh, I like that one. Yeah, that nobody else understands my situation. I'm really kind of a, a unique person. Nobody has gone through this thing ever before. I'm prepared to believe this is an absolutely unique thing. Well, by the way, we do that with sin, too, right? Nobody's really sinned this bad. Or, given my knowledge, we do all of that kind of stuff. And, and I always picture the Savior on the other side of the veil going, Really? <laughs> Nobody understands? Okay? But you see all the ways that your, that your brain and your mind can be prepared to accept lies. And so when lies come along, you go, Oh, I guess that's the truth. Okay. How often the church is about, oh, somebody's going to make an excuse for me, or somebody's going to bail me out. My leaders are going to help me. My parents are going to step up. And, and yeah. Yeah. In fact, my job. Uh, I, oh, this is getting in trouble. There are a lot of marriages that are an awful lot like a person flying a kite. And one spouse is on the ground holding on to the line and the other one is fluttering around having a great time. 
and a spouse on the ground holding on to the line. Life is hard and responsible, and the other one gets to flutter around and have an awesome time and everything until finally the one on the ground goes, oh, forget this, it just lets it go, and then the thing flutters. Sometimes a spouse in a marriage has been trained by whoever to accept the fact that they life is about going and having fun and not, not ever having to be responsible. Okay. Alright, now, that said, how many verses have we just done? Three. Yeah. <laughs> See how deep it is? And if you're just going to say, well, my scripture study consists of, I'm going to read for 20 minutes and Let's see if I can get through a chapter. You're going to miss it. Because the depth of the, of the scriptures and the power and the, and the relevancy to your lives is in stopping and taking the verse. That's what I'm saying to you. My challenge is your scripture study for the next week is going to be the next few chapters if you'll do it. And to read it over and over and dig and dig and dig. Okay? Now, let's move on. Oh, because here's the moment. Ooh, and this is such a great moment. Let's see. So there, there's our first point. Preparation precedes power. If you are prepared, if your mind is prepared, then you're going to be given great power to do what? Understand. And if you can understand, then what? Then you change. Your life's decisions are different when we understand. Now that we understand, we do things differently. Those that make uh, wrong choices and painful choices, simply like the, like the Whitey brothers with Nephi, they did not know that God who had created them. They didn't understand. Okay? Alright, so that's, that's this one. Uh, yeah, let's start. Before we read the next verse. Yeah, let's, let's, let's quote this by, by Elder Lewis. <laughs> I don't know what he's an elder, you know, what responsibility he has over there, but I know he does. So that's why I can get away with it. This is, this is one of those, uh, can wrap your head around this. Let, let me explain to you something that is really difficult. If you've never done this, you need to try this. I still think that the prayer without words is the best if one can really achieve it. To pray successfully without words, one needs to be at the top of one's form. When the golden moments come, when God enables one to really pray without words, Boy, he's got that right. Listen closely to that phrase and how he said it. When God enables one really to pray, preparation has got you to a point where you're now driven to your knees to pray without words. Who but a fool would reject the gift? But he does not give it anyway, not to me, day in and day out. My mistake was, this is, this is so profound, my mistake was thinking we can do always what we can do sometimes. My mistake was thinking we can do always what we can do sometimes. 
Which means we start to do things and then when we don't do them all the time we beat ourselves up. It was never intended to be that way. Uh, Leilani and I were talking before we got started here about being a natural man and a natural woman. We wondered at what point do we stop being a natural man or a natural woman and we decided uh, never. <laughs> At least in this life, we don't. We're always going to be battling this. Okay? For me, words are secondary. They are only an anchor. Or shall I say, they are the movements of a conductor's baton, not the music. The times, brothers and sisters, that I have tried to pray without words is tough. That's hard. Because for one thing I have to trust that he knows what I want. Which is dumb, right? Doesn't he know before I ask what I already want? But, to, but I, I noticed, for instance, I, I did a, a, with, my, with my little iPad, they have a new operating system. And, and so this weekend, I had to sync it up with my computer and this thing was syncing up back and forth. There was not a sound in the room while this, while this iPad was getting its new operating system. And you know, things were being downloaded and uploaded and moved around and everything and then things done. Okay? What if our prayers were that way? Have you ever tried praying without words? So that you're not asking for anything but with all of your soul you are uploading to Him everything that you need without saying it. And you are downloading from Him everything that He wants you to have. The concentration on this is incredible. That's why it wears me out when I try it. But it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful experience. And I love C.S. Lewis's idea that the prayer without words is the most powerful. Now, do you ever have a time in history where anybody's done that? <coughs> All right. Who's got verse 5? Can you read that one? I've got it. Thanks. Okay, now, now remember, what did, what did he just say to them? Go home. Ponder, pray, prepare. Go home. That's the plan. In fact, I'm going to go to my father. Then I've got other people I need to talk to. The plan is, you're weak, you're tired, I will be back tomorrow. Wonderful. But wait, what happened? Did they ask him to stay? No. Did he know that they wanted him to stay? How did he know that? Their countenance. It was the prayer without words. That yearning. Okay? So this is a tearing moment. Closest I could come is those times... For instance, like when, when President Hinckley would get done with a conference 
an area conference in Brazil or Korea or something like that. And what would happen when he'd get ready to leave? Can you picture 70,000, 80,000 people just kind of yearning? Like, don't leave us. Can we get an extra five minutes? Okay. One of the, uh, one of the events that shaped my life when I was young, um, my, my dad, growing up in Utah, my dad, bless his heart, uh, introduced me to General Conference. And I can remember on a number of occasions in the old tabernacle of standing in the rain waiting to get into a General Conference session. We always went down and went to General Conference at least one session. And then I would end up doing that with, as I grew older, and I would take dates to General Conference. I just love General Conference. And I loved being in the tabernacle with the brethren. Um, and one of the things that shaped my life was in uh, uh, President Harold B. Lee was only prophet for three conferences, 18 months. And the second one, um, that's, I think it's the third one, I think it's the one before he died in October. He did something interesting. Uh, where I was sitting in the balcony, I could, I could see President Lee pretty carefully. And he had, he had notes. They weren't always using the teleprompters at that point. He had his notes. And I remember very distinctly that he took his notes and he set them aside and he just leaned forward. And he started to speak. This was the last session. Elder Lee, or presently said, I believe that the veil has been very close. He says, in fact, if there had been more of an effectual struggle, is the term he used, effectual struggle on our side, there may have been no veil at certain points during this conference. Then he said, I had an unusual experience not long ago. He said, I, was, I had a dream, I think it was a vision. In that dream, he said, I was in a church meeting and people were jumping up two and three at a time and, and bearing testimony, and he says, the spirit was so unusual. And then he said, while I was watching this experience, he said, I seemed to hear the voice of President David O. McKay saying, if you want to learn to love God, you have to learn to love and serve the people. That's how you show your love for God. And I remember that he wept through the whole thing. And I remember as a, as, a, as a young teen, I was just amazed by this whole thing I was watching. And then, and then he finished. And then there's a closing song and a closing prayer. And what I remember distinctly, burned into my brain, was the fact that conference ended and nobody moved. We stood up when he stood up, but nobody moved. I noticed that nobody was leaving. We just stood silent. And I remember that President Lee got up from his chair as he was getting ready to leave, and he walked over to then President Kimball, who was the president of the Quorum of the Twelve, and gave him a long embrace, a long hug, and they just stood there for a while. And nobody moved. 
I believe at that moment if President Lee had said, can I say a few more words to you? <laughs> I think we would have said, yes, please. We want, it's like nobody wanted to go. Like a silent yearning to keep him close. Give us a chance for a little more affectional struggle. <laughs> you know, maybe there will be no bail because this is the closest thing we can come to this. And that was burned deeply into my brain and into my heart about the reality. And then as a youth, when I heard a few months later he was he died prematurely, I just lost it. Because I just come to love him so much. Even though he'd married he he had sealed my parents and I mean we, we liked him anyway, but there was that bonding, that connection with this man. Well think about these people as the saviors stand there, what are they doing? There's that yearning to keep him close, right? Okay, now, let me ask you something. Take it one step deeper. What's the application for us? Because if we just look at this experience, we might go, that's an interesting experience, this is what happened. Here's the details. I can pass the quiz. Where's the application for us? Could we yearn to have him with us all the time? Okay. Can we yearn to have him with us all the time? I think we... Yeah, absolutely. I think that's part of it. What else? Maybe not jump up from our prayer. Oh, maybe not jump up from our prayer. Especially when what? When we are feeling the Spirit. What about those moments you weren't anticipating it, whether it was in a meeting or in your prayers, that suddenly you're aware that the Spirit is close by? That there's some, something near and you're feeling some things. Based on this experience, what would we want to do? Stay. Plead with Him to tarry. That's going to be my challenge to you, that this is one of those moments that if you will, apply this to your life. Those times when the Spirit is nearby and you plead with Him to tarry. Please don't go. Do you need to say anything to Him? You just linger. Don't move. Don't immediately get up. Don't run out. Plead with Him to tarry. By the way, and we're about to talk about some of this, but let's just look at it in the overview. As a result of this 2,500 people yearning for him to stay, what happens? Does he stay? Yes. What happens next? He heals the sick. What else? Blesses the children. They are attended by... Angels, chapter 18, they receive the sacrament, and it's not, we're going to talk about this in a second, it's not just the sacrament, they are invited to the feast, the wedding feast of which the sacrament is only part of the, of the bridegroom's feast for us. So they receive the feast, and it says, until they are filled. So, as a result of yearning, and wanting him to tarry, they get healing, angels, blessings, sacrament. Wanting him to tarry. 
Isn't that that wonderful? None of which they asked for. (laughs) At all. All they wanted him to do was stay. That's his pattern, isn't it? We just want him to stay. What does he give us? More than we have any idea. More than we were prepared to receive. All we wanted him to do was stay close. And he blesses us with more. Isn't that cool? Yeah. It's like a, what, it is just having righteous desires. Yes. It is. But part of the righteous desire, you know, I want him close. I want to be closer to him. Then what happens when we feel him? Terry, stay. Linger. If you're on your knees tonight and you're praying and you're opening up to Him and you begin to feel the Spirit, the answer would be then, stay. (laughs) Don't go anywhere. Linger in that and let Him teach you because there are blessings coming if you don't want to immediately get up and run away. I think it's important too that we uh, take the opportunity to put ourselves in a position to feel that because as you were saying before, many times I know that there's been sometimes where I thought, oh, I'm just too tired to go to the adult session of state conference tonight. But when I get there, that's what I definitely needed at that particular point in my life. And I think there's, I think nowadays that's a challenge for a lot of us is just the, the, the busyness of which our lives are. So not only the tearing, that we have to place ourselves in the position in the first place to be able to have To get there. Yeah, hold on to that idea. We're going to talk about that one in just a second. But I think you're exactly right. Part of the preparation of our brain is, I am prepared to choose between good, better, and best. There are a lot of good things I could be doing, but the best thing for me to do would be in Saturday night session at conference. Okay? Yeah? I think it also fills us with great joy and peace. It reminds me of the people of Alma that were in captivity. And they couldn't pray, so they prayed with their hearts. And they were able to express their whole hearts to the Lord. And He made it easy for them to go through their... Good point. Yeah, going back to the the, the people of Ammon when they're they're being uh, dominated and controlled and not allowed to pray. The Lord heard their prayers. And in fact, He gave them more. They just wanted to know what to do. He knocked the guards out and made them go to sleep until they could escape. I mean, the Lord always does more. I saw Him. Yeah. It also increases your faith to let His will be done. Because look at the gifts He'll give us if we don't ask for our own. We're so finite. We are finite. Yeah, you're right. The the other gifts come. And by the way, they weren't sitting there. I don't think they were saying... uh, Savior, could you stay a little bit longer? And what we would like you to do is heal all of our sick, bless the kids, send down angels, and give us the sacrament. (laughs) They didn't even know to think what it was that he had in mind. They just wanted to carry. And he'll take it from there and give us what we need. Yeah? Yeah. Let's hang. Let's 
with that, yeah, that's Brother Welch at BYU, John Welch. Um, Let's talk about what happens here. Oh, by the way, so the response of the Savior to this, please tarry, please stay, you know, this silent yearning. Look at verse 6. What's the Savior's response? Yeah, his bowels, interesting phrase, bowels are filled with compassion, meaning it's one thing, it's, it's one thing that if you say that you love somebody, that you love somebody, what happens if you love somebody and your whole bowels are involved? You know, it's like you can feel it right down to your toenail kind of thing, okay? Not the bowels you're thinking about. <laughs> Description of our inner nest. Because traditionally in the script when they're talking about bowels, they're talking about our whole heart. It's not like it gives you indigestion. Your whole spirit. Your whole spirit, exactly. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. What said. <laughs> that was explained in a seminary manual one time when I was teaching. Yeah. Yeah. And in other words, this is his his bowels, his whole heart was filled with compassion towards these people. And here it comes. So based on that, okay, uh, you asked me to tarry, you just wanted me to be here. And he says, you know what? And this is, this is one of those moments, and I'm not sure what I think about this. They appear to have changed his mind. They certainly appear to have changed his plan. He, either he knew this was going to happen, and he wanted them to do it, or he was really planning on leaving at that moment, and I'll be back tomorrow and do all this stuff, but based on the way you are right now, my bowels are filled with compassion. Let's do it now. I have some things for you that you couldn't even imagine. Okay? Verse 7. Have you any sick? Bring them hither. Have you any lame or blind or halt or maimed or leprous? or withered, that are deaf, or afflicted in any manner, bring them hither, and I will heal them. Why? Because I have compassion, and my bowels are filled with mercy. Okay, bring them. <coughs> By the way, if you want to parallel this with Alma 7.11, Alma 7.11 says he would do this, and he just means do it. Here comes the, the halt and the sick, and all those kind of things. So he's going to do that. And, and why was he able to do that? Verse 8. Because their faith was sufficient. By the way, what was their... Think about what their faith was. Faith of, I really hope you'll stay and heal me. What was their faith? Just tarry. Just stay. Savior, wilt thou spend this night with me? Don't go, just be here. When, when I lift you, powerful, wonderful things happen. Now, there's an interesting sequence that is, is about to happen here. And I don't know that, 
this is one of those times, sometimes when I'm looking at chapters, uh, I was telling Sydney this as we were driving back from Colleen last night. Sometimes I know that I'm looking at something and I don't know what it is that I'm looking at. I know, for instance, that when the Lord repeats words in the scriptures and repeats phrases over and over, I'm looking at something. I just don't know what it is that I'm looking at. This is one of those moments I don't know what I'm looking at. But I suspect it's very, very powerful because of the way that specifically the Lord set this up. So let's, let me put it this way. Because there's an interesting sequence starting in, in verse 12. At his suggestion, they brought their little children and set them down on the ground round about them. So we're going to have, so he puts the children around him. Okay? Next, Jesus stands in the midst of them. And he commanded the multitude that they should kneel down upon the ground. So, so what he's now he's set up is that he's got he's he's having them kneel down, and then he's going to begin to pray, and he's going to groan within himself, Father. And I this I don't I don't expect. I'm not initially. I think I understand a little bit now. Why would he now utter this of all things, like? Heavenly Father, I'm grateful that these people are here and I'm grateful for the wonderful things and I'm glad I made it safely and, you know, uh, you know whatever he might have prayed. Heavenly Father, please bless these children. What does he say? He groans. I'm troubled. I'm troubled why? The sins of the house of Israel. It is, isn't it? It's not what you'd expect. As I said, looking at something, I don't know what I'm looking at. But he, he's got himself in a position. He's in the middle. He's surrounded with the kids. And, and the people are kneeling down around him. And what he's then overwhelmed with is, I am troubled by the sins of Israel. So I don't know that I understand this. Let me ask you though, what's one reason why he might be now aware of Israel? He's remembering how the atonement fell. He still could be remembering how the atonement felt while he was bleeding for them. Yeah? Well, I mean, he, they're fine. The people he's with are fine. And he's... Yeah, these guys are fine. Who's he, he he's aware of everybody. Yeah. But, the, but, I mean, as a parent, when you have children, the ones who are fine are the ones that you didn't think about. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> See, I, and I, I thought about that part. I, I remember, remember when the Savior goes to... It's like his homecoming... Hey, I'm going to show up in the synagogue in Nazareth. I'm back. You know, here I am. Oh my gosh, it's, it's Jesus, you know, the carpenter's son. You want to read today? Sure. <laughs> Remember he reads, you know, and what he does, he chooses one of the scriptures saying that the Messiah would come. And then what does he do? He puts the book down. He's done with the reading for the day. And then he says... This day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. In other words, this Isaiah said the Savior would come. Here I am. And their response was? To try to throw him off. To try and throw him off. That's right. <laughs> Remember, 
Remember, Nazareth was a was a rock quarry. The the term for Joseph the carpenter probably is better translated as stonemason. He was a mason, which makes a lot more sense when you start thinking about I'm the stone cut, you know, stone cut without hands, the cornerstone, the foundation. All thou art Cephas, Peter, the rock, but I'm the stone on which. I mean. His, his analogies are all rock things, you know, probably from his... That's a rock quarry. They take him out to the rock quarry to try and throw him off. And what happens? I don't know, it's a little murky at that point. <laughs> He's out of there. Okay? But the last time that he was surrounded by the children of Israel, what did they try to do? Kill him, cast him out. And what about these people? Terry. Please don't go. The top of that mountain, there's a plaque that says that this is where Jesus uh -huh. was taken, but it says he jumped off before the... Oh, is that right? Yeah. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it was a little revisionist. I don't think he tried to jump off. No, I think he just, I don't. Does he turn and kind of... A mist. Yes. He's gone. Okay. So he does this. And when he said these words, he himself knelt upon the earth and he prayed unto the Father. And as they looked uh, to behold, they cast their eyes around about towards heaven. They saw the heavens open. They saw angels descending out of heaven as it were the midst of fire. They came down and circled those little ones about. Now, yeah. Go way out. I mean, this is a meeting. What if you go out like I don't know, 
15 miles, 20 miles, 25 miles. Who's out there? If they're still alive, they haven't made it, yeah, that's right. Okay. Who's who's 25 miles out there that aren't anywhere near this? The people they're going to go teach. We're going to go teach them tonight. In fact, we're going to go drag them in and bring them in tonight. There's going to be a lot of night runners and they're running. But think about those people that were 25 miles out and 50 miles out. How come they weren't at the temple? It's Passover. Why weren't they at the temple? They were watching the ball game. <laughs> or, you, you know what? That They were going, it's the Saturday night session of conference. It's a day off. <laughs> Usually I have, to, I have to teach primary, but it's, but it's conference this weekend. Let's go to the fair. Let's take a break. It's general conference, which means... Let's go voting instead. We don't have to, because we're not, we don't have responsibilities. Conference just means no church, no responsibilities, take a break. Record. Do what? Record. Just record it and watch it later. Yeah. And, and, I, and I was aware, think about the people 50 miles out that said, we're not going up to Passover. You know, we do that every year. It's not a big deal. You know, we'll just, you know, we'll, we'll miss it this week, but hey. We're... You would think, but they, they still have to go out and get people, right? Now, here's the scary part about that. How many of the people that were out there that just for whatever reason didn't make it into Passover, even, and we're just a year out from all these things that happened, how many of those people have kids with disabilities? How many of them were leprous and lame and broken and what happened to them? They missed out on the needle. And it was and it was within a day's walk. And he was right there. But because they decided to skip it. In other words, that's why I think what we're what we're watching is this kind of more righteous to less righteous. We're watching the closer, and let me just say it this way, the more in tune you are, and the more you understand the Savior, where do you want to be? As close to Him as possible. Aren't you? I want to be anywhere. The closer you are to the Spirit, and there's, a, there's a, an apostle coming to state conference, where are you? Three hours early to make sure you're on the front row. <laughs> Not because we're going to say that's what happens at state conference. All I'm saying is, is that we want to be closer to the Savior. Right? That we want to be nearer. Terry. I'm going to tarry with you. I want you to tarry with me. And I just think it's fascinating to me that the Savior set it up in such a way so that you get this concentric kind of thing. And way out there are people that were completely outside of that. What if we found out someday, pure speculation on my part, that this is the way the degrees of glory work. You know, the celestial kingdoms in the middle and the terrestrial and the terrestrial. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's like that. It's Hinkley 101. Anyway. C.S. Lewis would back me up on that. Probably true. <laughs> Thank you.
Really? No, he really references it in the Semitronia book. <laughs> you know, the thing that I feel bad about, that there are times when I've prepared my mind and I really get struck with something really and I want wow, I have never heard, this is like I've just broken new ground and I get really excited about it. And then I will Google something and it's like, oh, the BYU professor that wrote about this 20 years ago. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that's so crushing. You're like, you think it's this down and then uh, so somebody's known about this forever. We're never going to be first. Yeah, we're never first on this <laughs> stuff. Um, okay, by the way, as a result of this, oh man, we're going to have to hustle. I think this is fascinating. So here's one more point. Look at verse, the result of all of this, look at verse 20. Because this has happened and the prayers are offered, this amazing thing is about to occur. Because the Savior says, basically, now what? My joy is full. Now, they just express their joy. He's here. Please tarry. You've healed us. You've blessed us. Look what you've done for our kids. All of that. And at the end of this, his response is, and now my joy is full. See, we always talk in, 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 in the idea of what we do for the Savior. Is there something you can do for Him? Is there something that you do that affects Him? And did it just happen? Rub your tears. Yeah, it did. He wept. His bowels are filled with compassion. And as a result of their sweetness and their power, he says, my joy is full. We have fulfilled his joy by our actions and by our faith and by our trust and by our love. We do something for the Savior. We fill him with joy. Is that cool? Ah, she says, he just fulfilled the, the atonement. Here's people that are kind of the... Now, the, the, there's a, this is the atonement. Let me take this one more step. We're swimming. Hang with me. Okay, here's the deal. They were just feeling joy, right? It says that they felt joy. Now he says, my joy is full. What's just happened? That's the atonement. He joins us. We have become one. My, my joy and your joy are the same. That's the atonement. We have been at one. At one this is the at one bent of the atonement. We're together. He joined them in their joy and together they have become one. Father, make them one in me as I am in thee and all of that kind of that's, You just watch the atonement happen. Their joy, their love, their healing results in them being there and he responds with his joy. There it is. Not the atonement. That's the verse that teaches you what the atonement will look like. Isn't that cool? Okay. Next chapter. <sighs> and we've got 20 minutes. Alright, so wait, there's more. We just got through 
all of this great and marvelous stuff, and now comes, I think, the completion of uh, the atonement. Let's see. Sue, you want to stop the, uh, the, what you learned from Hugh Nibley this week? You want me, you want me to do it? Okay. She, she shot me an email saying, that isn't really cool. Brother Nibley, in looking at these chapters, talks about the fact that the, that the gospel begins after the healing. When the healing ends, then the, the gospel begins. So there's a, there's a sequence here of the healing... They're being healed in a lot of ways. Now we can bring the gospel. And it comes right after this. You know. Uh, okay. Verse 1. Of, of chapter 18, it came to pass that Jesus commanded his disciples they should bring some bread and wine. They brought the bread and wine. He has the multitude sit down. Then he does something interesting. When the disciples, verse 3, had come with bread and wine, he took of the uh, bread and break and blessed it and gave it to who? The disciples. So first of all, he's going to bring the, the gospel and this completion now of the gospel to who? The leaders. Okay? He's going to give it to them um, and command they should eat. Verse 4, uh, when they had eaten and were filled, he commanded that they should give it unto the multitude. Um, and then verse 5, and when the multitude had eaten and were filled, uh, said unto the disciples, there shall be one ordained to do this. Okay, now, Let's go back to what we were just talking about. Why the word filled? You ever take a sacrament and feel filled? You know, my grandkids, when I'm sitting next to them, it's like, well, can I have another one? <laughs> Only one? I'm still hungry. What does he mean by being filled? Uh, in fact, if you'll hop over, uh, let's see, did I link it? No, I didn't. Oh, I did. Don't worry about going there, but 3 Nephi 12, uh, 6, when he's going through the Beatitudes, he says, And blessed are they who do hunger and thirst. After what? Righteousness. Those that do will be what? Filled with what? They shall be filled with the Holy Ghost. Now there's a double meaning when he talks about the fact that they're filled. Here's the top meaning. They're going to be filled with the Holy Ghost. So those that really wanted this have now been filled with the Holy Ghost. They, they've seen healings. They've seen um, angels. They've watched their kids blessed. Now they're going to be filled with the Holy Ghost. But now I want you to get the deeper meaning. Because here, here's where the power is in this. There is a symbolism here that is so great that in the initial... Let me say it this way. When the Savior introduced the sacrament, where did He first introduce the sacrament? 
to the apostles in Jerusalem at what? The upper room. In the upper room at Passover. Did it, did it like we're going to gather you all together and break a little bread and a little water? Or was it part of a bigger deal? It was part of a feast. It's the Passover Seder. These guys eat till they drop. For hours. A Seder can take four or five hours if you do it right. It's part of a feast. And the sacrament was one part of a massive feast. Now, what's that trying to teach us? Those that hunger and thirst are going to be what? Filled. And what's the Savior trying to say to us? Come to the feast. The sacrament is one part of this massive feast. In fact, when, they, when we get into the Doctrine and Covenants uh, this next year, we're going to talk about the fact that He invites, He's going to invite all of these people that are righteous, and He invites them to what? The feast of the bridegroom. Come and eat with me. I will sup with you. The resurrection of Christ, by the way, was always eating. You know, fish and stuff. I mean, he says, I'm, I'm, I have a resurrected body. But he's going to feast with them. Okay? Have you ever pictured the, the sacrament as part of a feast? What are you feasting on? So that you're, and you're going to feast till you're filled. What are you feasting on? The Savior. The Savior and? This is my body. Yeah, that's right. And part of this is saying, I want you to feast and there will be more. And there will be more. And you'll be, keep bringing out. You ever gone to a restaurant, you know, and, and it's like one of these massive, like it's going to be a seven course meal, you know, and you just kind of eat and they take it away and here comes more. And it's like, oh, now I'm full. And then they bring out like the good stuff and then you eat that. <laughs> I remember as a uh, as missionaries uh, on uh, Boxing Day in England. It's the day after Christmas, and and we'd gone to a uh, we had two deals. We had a, we had some members that we had lunch with, and then we had some investigators that were German that had invited us to uh, dinner, big Boxing Day Christmas dinner. Okay. So we had lunch, we had a good time, and then we went over to this German couple, and she had she had lived through the bombing of Dresden, and I mean just all kinds of stuff. Anyway, we had a feast, and we were already full, and she just kept bringing all of this stuff, and then we get we hardly fit anymore, and then out would come this next course, and then there would come this next course, and we just like, and my companion, I'm looking at it like I'm going to die. I know. <laughs> And more. Elder, how some more along? It'll be wonderful. Okay? She tried to kill us. <laughs> but isn't that what the Savior is saying to us? Take the sacrament, and that's the first step towards what? The rest of the feast. You will be filled, not just eat a little bit. It's like, I'm going to fill you up with angels and healings and all of this stuff that just keeps coming. Okay? Alright. They're going to be filled. Um, now. Yeah, that's where we're wanting to finish. Now, let me ask then. 
So now let's go to verse 7. And I want to kind of, I want to kind of finish with this. to do to the sacrament as I have done even as I have broken bread and blessed it and given it unto you. Now look at that first line. Somebody read the first line of verse 7. Who's got it? Okay. And this shall ye do in remembrance of my body which I have shown unto you. Can you hear it? What's he suggesting that they, that in the remembrance, that they should be in remembrance of? His body, what? Yeah. That takes nothing away from our view of the Savior on the cross, or in Gethsemane, and that suffering there. That's part of this. But to these Nephites, he was saying, remember what? This body, which is resurrected. This body, which is scarred, but triumphant. This body, which fulfilled the mission it came to do. This mission, which is, this body, which is glorious and resurrected. This body, which has done everything that you just watched, the healing, all of that kind of stuff. <coughs> this body, which is victorious. In other words, he's saying, in, I, what I want you to keep in remembrance is my victorious body. Would that change your sacrament thoughts just a little? It certainly did with me yesterday. Picturing, picturing the Savior not necessarily on the cross. And again, I think that's part of it. We're taking nothing from that. But what would happen in your sacrament worship if you pictured this glorious, loving, resurrected being standing before the Nephites? What would that do? How do you then begin to picture him? 
Do you see him differently? Well, ultimately, that's the point of it. I mean, it's not that he died for us, but that he was resurrected for us. That he finished it all the way through. That death was one part of that, but there was a resurrection. And, and now we will also be able to go through suffering and death and stand triumphant, resurrected. Yeah. Uh, like I said, there's a lot here that, that we're not getting 
spend it. But if you'll start digging, just prepare your minds to be able to see all the parallels that exist in these things. Because this is written for us. And it's written not just so we'll know. It's written so our lives will change and we can be transformed. Our minds can be prepared. Uh, the Savior's inviting us to the feast. And we need to come hungry and He will fill us. That's how it works. And I leave that with you in Jesus' name.